What is going on, party people? Scott Russell here, episode 54 from the Grave Podcast. Uh, Let's see what we got going on here. Uh, This podcast is sponsored by Recovery Through Repetition, the badass local non-for-profit organization, donation-based workouts in Boca Raton at FTX Wellness, Monday night, 7 p.m., yoga with cycled teachers, Come check it out. Get your flow on. Get your vinyasa. Relax your face. And Friday night, group workouts with Jeremy. Come vibe out. Listen to the music. Throw around some dumbbells. Have fun. Slap hands. And grind with us. And then Saturday morning, again, cycled coaches. 10 a.m. A little bit more low-key. Good way to start your um, weekend. This podcast is also proudly sponsored by Vedic Meditation with Matt Cardone. Vedic Meditation is an ancient meditation that works with a mantra that lulls the mind into a deep state of bliss consciousness where the thoughts don't disperse. They stay at the top level like water in a glass. They float at the surface. The mantra takes us down into a place where eventually there's no mantra there's no thought and we get steeped in what's known as bliss consciousness as maharishi would come to explain Um, i know little about it and i am really just concerned with the practice of it and the experience of it it's 20 minutes in the morning 20 minutes in the afternoon i know you're thinking yeah fucking right and i did the same thing and i know you can only barely sit still for five minutes but you know what i'm saying if you want to be a G, you got to do G shit. You feel me? No, I'm just playing. But also not really. I'm very, very grateful for the practice. It's brought focus. An exhaustible energy of late, I realize. Adaptive energy into my life. Um, I ran into some brothers who it also activates. Well, I'll get into the brothers thing. It also activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which triggers deep, deep uh, relaxation and stress relief, allowing healing presence and love and light into your life. Um, so get with it, be about it, talk about it. I ran into some brothers who study under the same tradition, under the same teacher, actually, um, both of which have been doing it for significantly longer time than myself. Uh, shout out to Ben and Tom, Veda Gang, what's really good, Jaguru Deva, and uh, it's all love, we meditate at the same time in separate places every day for our afternoon practice, and uh, just get steeped, dog, just get steeped and rock together, you feel me? Anyways, this podcast is concerning uh, Mr. Dax Shepard in relation to uh, his recent circumstances concerning his public acknowledgement of a relapse uh very shocking you know the thing he had 16 years and all this stuff and i listened to his podcast uh unraveling and unpacking this experience many times so i i've never really i've never really done this i've never done this as far as touching on somebody that i've never met and don't have a personal experience with um I'm not a professional or anything like that. I simply have my experience. I don't even have a fucking opinion. I have experience in this and it's all compassion. It's all love. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. And I hope that it didn't come off that way at all because it's nothing but love and respect for this man and everybody else who's gone through it just the same. Um, Hold your head. Keep your head up, you know, always forward, never back. Keep being you. I hope you guys enjoy this, share it, love it, like it, talk about it, you need it, you want it, you want more of it, power of suggestion, let go. What's going on there, beautiful people? From the Grave Podcast, yours truly, Scott Russell. This is episode 54, 
man, I've had a couple awesome guests the last few episodes. I'm still fired up after uh, last week's episode with Jeremiah. Sat down, kicked it with him, and just a hell of an individual. So if you haven't listened to episode 53, uh, you need to get on that. You need to get on it. So there's there's a couple things I, I want to talk about or that's just kind of been floating around and I guess I'll stumble into it. You know, one of the things is the Dax Shepard actor and, and host uh, and creative armchair experts podcast. Um, he, he relapsed after 16 years and there's some, there's some gray area in there as far as a, a slip or a relapse after eight years wasn't acknowledged, um, et cetera. And now he's gone public and his, one of his most recent episodes is just titled seven days. He has seven days sober. So I have, um, not even some opinions regarding this matter uh, i have ample experience number one time means nothing i relapse after uh, four years of continuous sobriety living in a 12-step program practicing a design for living that was relieving all the torment in my mind and in my physical life and i had a great experience Oh, I learned so much and life changed and I was impressed by the people who I met and I met real mature badass spiritual men that I desired to emulate a little too much so because I wanted to be them rather than unpack and discover who I really am and who Scott Russell is and what he's about. And I suppose I just wasn't ready at that time. Uh, and that perpetuated my relapse eventually. But I have to say, the thing I'm most grateful for in my life right now is that, in fact, I did relapse and, quote-unquote, throw away four years. First of all, in regards to all this, time means absolutely fucking nothing. You can spit in the face of time. At the end of the day... I die each night and I awake each morning. That's it. It's nice and it's honorable to have accrued multiple years and it gives you some type of recognition or merit in the world of, hey, I'm sober and maybe someone will be more willing to listen to you. And especially at the level that Dax Shepard is at as far as the sphere of his influence. <clears throat> so nothing but compa- nothing but compassion uh, for Dax, and nothing but compassion and love and understanding, um, and a brother in arms as far as I'm concerned. You know, um, and his family and his wife and everything. You know, and how he handled it and how he thinks he handled it. It's irrelevant. You know, the main thing we can say right off the jump is, okay, he relapsed. So fucking what? You know, and I I think it's so funny how everyone's stats went up. You know, like everyone that didn't listen to the podcast tuned in to listen to that episode because of a seeming failure. And isn't it interesting how we're so interested in the dark stuff? in the failures and when the quote unquote failures and when people fuck up and there's gossip and oh my God, something changed after six years. And that's fucked up, man. You know, that's fucked up. That means we're more attracted to the darkness within each one of us rather than the light. Fucking think about that. Think about that. And if that's part of you, then that should show you some type of reflection within yourself that you are more attracted to the devious nature of our defects than the simplicity of the good things in each human being, right? And it's just really something to pay attention to. Now, you relap, and it's so interesting how we're, we're just concerned with him because obviously he's a public figure. But you know what? There's millions 
of men and women just like him, just like myself, who are going through the same things at perhaps greater levels with the same influence in their community and their family and their kids. Some lose their lives. Some have to reassemble the family after their wife leaves them or the kids turn their back on them or whatever the case may be. So it's important to note that while he's getting all this attention, we need to be conscious that there is so many of us who are going through and embody the same type of struggle that he's being so public with. And if anything, that should be a motion to us to have a little bit more compassion in that realm, if you so desire, right? Um, just because I'm in recovery, I don't need any fucking special treatment. And I, I damn don't, I damn sure don't need a pat on the back for doing something I should have been doing my whole damn life. You know, I got, this is how I, listen, I got four years, I could give a shit. Okay. And that's what going back out did for me of, of lighting a torch to Mr. Joe recovery, Scott, four years sober, uh, rah, 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 had, had this, this subtle notion that like, I got this thing licked, you know, I got this thing licked. Oh, you want to get sober? Let me tell you how to fucking do it. I'm going to tell you how to do it, how to rock. And there's so much ego in that and it's so subtle and it's so devious and it's formless. It's a shapeshifter. You can't see it. You can't touch it. And it begins to, to stain your, your clothes and, and smell and you get this scent and you can't recognize it most of the time until you get smacked in the face. Some people need to get told. Some people need to get smacked. And some people need to get tossed, tossed off a second floor balcony. It's all about the level of pain and our hard headedness, right? All we need to do is begin to recognize this type of alcoholism. And, you know, Dak says in his podcast that he had based, I'm paraphrasing, um, that he had began to sniff this out and, and he could feel it coming. Now, he, he relapsed. And I'll say it how it is, like as far as me looking in, like he relapsed after eight years. He took a, he got high with his dad and chilled by a lake and he felt great. And there was intention to find relief from the mind and the body and he received it. Therefore, he was going to continue to chase it regardless of if he had a previous, a stint of, of relief or control, meaning he didn't go right out and get heroin or Percocets or whatever the next day, there was a period of self-control. But the control was an illusion. That's the disease, right? Is Look at this. I was fine. The most dangerous thing that can happen when you relapse is nothing, is no consequences. That's the da- most dangerous thing that can happen. Same is true if, uh, if you're sober and, you know, uh, you want to go steal excitement from a life you no longer live. You want to hang out in the bars to go hit on girls or whatever the case. Go in, you know, sordid places where, you know, there's drugs and people are um, sniffing coke in the bathroom and clubbing. No, I'm not saying that stuff's bad. Well, in that degree, it is bad and I don't belong in places like that. If it's a joyous occasion, I'm going with some buddies, we're celebrating, you know, one night out of fucking a year or something, that's completely different. But if I'm trying to steal excitement from a life I no longer live, and I go into the bar and hit on the girl that's drunk, and I take her home, and we sleep together, and she's got some coke or something like that, and nothing comes of it, that's the most dangerous thing that can happen, because then the conviction is, we're good we're good. I can still dance in the darkness and be completely sober minded and nothing could be further from the truth. It will grab you by the throat and drag you back out into the street and fucking leave you there. It is in its nature. It's you're not greater than it. You never will be greater than it. It's affected all of us in the same way since the beginning of time. So is my opinion. 
so he's been in a few car ac- or a motorcycle accidents, right? And the first one, he got in an accident, and then you know he was bang real banged up, and he had to go to work on set, something like that. And he called, and this is where it all starts to fall apart. Number one, justification. Number two, um, he called his sponsor and said, "Hey, I'm in a lot of pain. I got in an accident. I need to go to the doctors, but I have to get this work done." I know a friend who has Valium or fucking Percocet or whatever the, what the hell was it? I think it was Percocet. I know somebody that has Percocets. Can I take one? And his sponsor goes, yeah. And then go to the doctor after, you know, I'm sorry, but that's, uh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. If someone were to call me and tell me that exact situation, I would say in this moment, you have the ability to choose between life or death. And right now, if work is more important and you're willing to compromise eight years of freedom to take something you know is going to internally affect you and not only the pain, uh, then, then you already are in a place mentally that is immensely unstable and you're dancing in the darkness already, okay? Now, that is literally what happened to me after four years. I had an uh, overuse syndrome with my IT band, my illotibial band, which is a band of tissue, like a rubber band that extends from the outside of your knee all the way up to your hip. And it's, you can see it. if you extend your leg, you can see the band and it works as a rubber band for when you're, when you're running. Okay. Now I was into minimalistic running and wearing those, those five finger toe shoes, the Vibram five fingers. And I loved it. And it makes you feel like a kid and free and blah, blah, blah. But the biggest mistake is overuse syndrome. I don't know how to, how to balance and how to just do things with balance. Right. And mediocrity. Um, that's not what I meant. Mediocrity. Um, so I tried everything. I tried yoga. I tried PT and it was at this point, it was, uh, um, quality of life. I couldn't walk down steps. It hurt every fucking day. So I hadn't, I had insurance and it was a simple minimally invasive surgery they make a Z cut in your IT band and then they extend it Um, and then sew it back together. It's hard to explain without drawing it on a piece of paper, but if you were to draw a Z type thing, um, you would have an extension that you could thin out and then sew back together. So mine was so tight when the doctor cut it, he said it went like, like cutting a, a, a rubber band that had, had, um, pressure on it. Um, now the first thing out of my mouth Whenever I go into the dentist, doctor, anything like that is, uh, you know, I'm a recovering drug addict. I can't have any mind or mood altering substances. I can't have any controlled substances. End of story. Obviously, there are circumstances where that is tolerable. If you're in a serious surgery and you absolutely need them, I know a ton of people currently who went through that took them for a few days you know giving them out with their significant other and who persevered and are fine and they are still sober okay but the problem is intent and relief and motive so my view in that moment of calling the sponsor and saying hey can i i'm making my own diagnosis i'm saying I can't handle this pain. So who fucking knows? That's between him and God. Could he or couldn't he have? Right? That's between him and God. In that moment, I'm making my own diagnosis and my own solution and saying, I need pain relief rather than the humility of going to the boss, going to the work. Listen, this is something I have to take care of. I am in excruciating pain. I need to go to the doctor and then follow up not playing doctor myself. So in my eyes, that was a first mistake, right? Through and through. 
And then the problem is immediately what happens after that is you get a tickle. And once you tickle the monster and wake him from his slumber, before you know it, he turns into a juggernaut. And I love that word. It means a huge, powerful, overwhelming force, such is the case of the disease of addiction and alcoholism in my experience. Sober or not sober, an untreated mind, a mind and spirit not rooted in principles, spiritual principles, honesty, purity, love, selflessness, um, brotherly love, perseverance. These are the things we must learn to embody in a recovered or recovered, um, recovered, excuse me, um, a life of recovery. So right there, I already begin to compromise that. And then this, and this was at eight years, I believe. And, you know, again, I'm, I guess I'm just talking about this because it's content, right? And we're on a podcast. And I also want to defend the guy a little bit because I've had a couple conversations with people and, you know, I feel qualified because I've been through the same fucking thing. Um, and I remember before I got the surgery, I was radically discontent. And I remember going to my sponsor and speaking to him on this discontent and being like, you know, expressing that, hey, you know, I've been kind of thinking about pills and this and that and the pain was justification and all this stuff. And he was like, you know, here is a man who walked me into a state of freedom that I had never known. And he wants, he watched me change before his eyes over a four year period. And we became very, very close. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Scott, you are in no place mentally or spiritually to do this surgery. End of story. And he drove home in his car crying that night because of how he saw me. I wasn't with him in the car, but his brother had told me this. We were very close. And we always will be. I didn't follow direction. um, And I went and did the surgery. And I told my doctor multiple times that I can't have any type of controlled substance. Now, when I came back after the anesthesia, um, he's like, yeah, I'm going to write you a script for tramadol. And he goes, it's not really a controlled substance. It was, but now it's not. And I was like, (laughs) okay, what, what ingredient did they change? You know, I'd never heard of tramadol before. It's a very, very weak, mild, controlled substance 100 percent does affect you just the same as a percocet or an oxycontin would but it's also a tickle um so i was out of it you know in anesthesia and that was all the reason i needed and i was like okay um and i was living with my girlfriend at the time and she was regulating the meds and we got the tramadol and i took it and uh And there it was. There was that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And I told her that it didn't didn't do anything, but it did help the pain. So automatically, I'm rooted in lie. Um, And I could feel that feeling on the inside. And this is the most dangerous thought that I've ever had. This is after four years of sobriety. As soon as that hit me, my first thought was, Why did I ever stop doing this? And I knew at that juncture in my life that things were going to get a little bit messy because it had convicted me. What was, what was, what became no longer an option, drugs and alcohol over four, it was no longer an option in my life. I had lost my right to chemical peace of mind and I structured my life in such a way that I was free of that. Now that had been obliterated once I took that pill with the thought of why did I ever stop doing this? So you can imagine how the story goes, right? You get as many refills as you can until the doctor's like, hey buddy, it's been fucking three months. You should be fine. 
and then you start finding other avenues, right? You go to the fucking dentist and, you know, you're out of the game for a while. So, you know, my tooth hurts, whatever, go get a, a tooth pulled. And, you know, they're giving me hydrocodone 37.5s. Um, and, you know, so when, when Dax mentions um, taking that and not thinking it a big deal, I relate because the biggest slight of character within an alcoholic and an addict is self, uh, self-delusion and self-deception. And if I have not the ability to be radically honest with a sponsor, then all the sponsorship in the world is of no avail and ain't going to fucking do nothing. Right. So that's why it takes some, the shell to be broken and being sober becomes your only option that you become radically honest. And so begins your journey. Now, what I think Dax did is what I did, which is stop living in um, a spiritual way of life where the lie could rise up and take another, take its stronghold, take its almost rightful place in my mind of self-deception. And the ego loves that. I no longer need this. I no longer need that. I don't need to read. I don't need to write. I don't, you know, I don't need to frequent meetings anymore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Life becomes about me and entertaining me. All I want to do is go hiking and rock climbing. All I want to do is stay in bed with my girlfriend, have my apartment, make sure that's nice, uh, work out, um, go to school, get the promotion at work. Everything besides loyalty to my growth, my inside job, right? Um, So naturally, you know, we begin to seek things out that were no longer an option and we attract that into our life and like attracts like. So, and that's the builder of thoughts message, right? Proverbs 27, 19, just as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart of a man. So if my inside convictions change to where I open the door to the possibility of drugs and alcohol will bring me relief, I will attract it into my life where I have the opportunity to take action under the weight of that illusion, under the weight of that lie. And see, before that, I knew that relief was never there. It may have been a 10-second shot of relief, but situations were always left worse off than they ever were. And there's a lot of people who need to relapse and experience that pain before they really commence to solve their problem. That has been my experience. Because what the relapse did was chip away at all the spiritual fluff fucking bullshit and perfectionism um, and egocentric spirituality that I had been living with for so long and chop it down to the raw, unadulterated material of Scott. And it's okay to be a resentful asshole today. I'm pissed off and it is what it is and I'm a mess and my life's a mess and I relapse and you know what? Fuck it. This is me. I own it. Let's rock out. Always forward, never back, keep being you. Always forward, never back, keep being you. And I and he said that, you know, he got honest. So fast forward, his his father is, I guess, sick uh, of cancer, I believe. I think that's the ailment. And he goes up to this lake house to help take care of him. And he has a script of like Percocet 30s. Um, and Dax had some as well, and he's he's basically aiding his father, you know, giving him aid, not like aiding him, um, giving him Percocets and all that. And he had taken some of his perks, and they went out, sat by the lake high, and shared a moment together. And he said, I felt complete elation, right? But see... What underpins this is he said, the only thing my father and I 
ever had in common was the fact that we're both junkies. And again, I, I say all this with immense respect because I'm making my judgments from afar, right? Regardless of the state of a parent to son relationship, a father and son relationship, if you're eight years sober and the only and you still say the only thing my father and I have in common is that we're both addicts, it sounds like there hasn't been much of a rectifying or amends brought into that relationship. That's what it sounds like. See, in that moment, it's another self-delusion. See, in that moment, it wasn't even though let's say my father was a bastard to me and abandoned me, emotionally abandoned me, whatever the case, my intent wasn't to go up there and bring peace and love and comfort and aid him through this very tough time of sober mind and judgment and be a son to my father. It was, oh shit, he's got some perks. Let's get high and look out over the lake. And he felt elation. Now, what that looks like to me is just a little aspect of giving up, right? Now, I can also relate to his his next conclusion, which was he didn't think that much of it. He didn't consider it getting high. He felt okay with it. And see, that's the biggest lie is that is this justification because of me not having guilt and shame and remorse. And those are the thorns that are always in the side of the addict and alcoholic and which perpetuate our using to very, very dangerous degrees, right? And so when we get sober, that's the shit we got to dig out. That's the root of the problem. Flipping a Percocet 30, shooting a bag of a heroin or cocaine those are mere symptoms of the internal conflict within me. Again, just as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart of the man. If there's wars raging inside of me, then I will attract and create wars in the outside circumstances of my life. If there is radical peace and acceptance within me, then my life will then reflect radical peace and happiness and joy. This is simply a spiritual law. This is a universal law. Period. So the sad thing is, is he didn't have reverence for the disease at this point at all. He had been in another motorcycle accident. And again, if I'm the sponsor and he's in another motorcycle accident and, you know, his wife is divvying out his pills and this and that, as a sponsor, I'm going to say, um, in life, there's cause and effect. And it seems as though you're bringing consequences into your life that are drastically affecting you for the worse. Perhaps you could, you should reconsider what you do for a recreational activity is your consequences worth how you feel on a micro uh um a motorcycle right um i know a gentleman named uh uh mike mick he was in the program 20 freaking years amazing guy uh brought me up to labrador mountain showed me how to have fun sober when i had a year sober um snowboarding you know and and just having fun and that i could go be a part of life sober he loved motorcycles okay he was uh riding his motorcycle in upstate new york hit a deer crashed and he passed away left behind his daughters and his wife sheila who's also got over 30 years amazing people you know, we don't know why these things happen, but the fact of the matter is if I'm living in, you know, let's just say a perhaps dangerous way, I'm opening the door to cause and effect. Whether we're spiritual or whatever the fuck, it doesn't, it doesn't relieve us from 
the chaos of life. It does not. So you got motorcycle accident over motorcycle accident, which is just underpinning the lie of this is okay and everything's going to be fine. And in this story, I also heard a lot of classification of drugs and separating drugs into different categories of sobriety, meaning you would say, if I'm not going back to alcohol, if I'm not going back to Coke, I'm good. No, he still says, hey, I, had six, I have 16 years sober, free of drinking and, and cocaine. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, throw it all in a fucking bowl. It's all the same thing. It's all going to alter your state of mind and body. And we really don't want to get down to, I, I, I don't want to get down to specifics. All we need to really be concerned with is the heart of a man moving forward and that he doesn't crucify himself that there's already been one who has done that for us and that we don't need to be crucified and we don't need to be shamed and we can take up our mat and walk again and learn. And oftentimes, a relapse can be a rocket into a fourth dimension. It can kick us up the ladder. It can give us the fire we need to redouble our spiritual efforts and Reverence is the watchword. Reverence means a deep and humble respect. If I don't have a deep and humble respect for this disease and how it operates in my life, then I will never have and never find reverence for a spiritual life and God. That's my opinion. I have to get right-sized with the disease and with man before I can become right-sized with God. Again, that's my personal belief. So naturally, um, you know, he got honest with Kristen after he relapsed with his dad or or took the Percocet and got high in elation. And I guess, you know, Kristen had said, Kristen Bell, she said, uh, um, you know what, You're, you're stressed out about your dad you got in a um, motorcycle accident, you've been in pain, so what? You flip the Percocet with your dad, shake it off, keep moving forward. And I love that. I fucking love that, okay? That's what it is. But we have to recognize that it, that it was, in fact, a relapse. Because the fact that it wasn't acknowledged for what it was what it did was make that relapse a tormenting ghost of his past every day forward. So he had to live with that and live with that. And it's like uh, it'll rot inside of you. It'll rot, it'll rot, it'll rot until that shame, that guilt, that darkness will grow and into that juggernaut until we're seeking it out on the streets. He's lying more than ever. And next thing you know, finally, eight years later, he has come to terms with the fact that he only has seven days sober. So, in a sense, we could say it took eight more years for the ego to be right-sized and for him to accept who and what he truly was at this walk, at this juncture in his life, which is fucking okay, man. I mean, I relapsed after four years, dude. I went hard for a few years, hard down in Florida, ended up in Tennessee, hard on the streets of Tennessee until I had fucking nothing. I was bleeding from the neck, bleeding from the arms. I had abscess in my neck. I was cutting abscess out of my neck in full flight from reality, 130 pounds soaking wet. And that's what I needed. And it's been the greatest thing that's ever been given to me. And now I could, I could care less about time. I honor it and I'm grateful. And who knows, man, maybe 10 years down the road, I'll relapse again. You know, we don't know. But just because he relapsed does not mean that that life experience he had with sobriety eight years and 16 years, it's not null and void. You know, when a man has a happy, successful, um, successful, sober way of life like that, and he relapses, we don't 
the time frame in which we can have another awakening and be relieved of this disease, it's not long because the foundation is there. It was just a little faulty. It had to be ripped out and built anew on bedrock, you know, that our house may be firmly planted on bedrock, that it will not shift and sway when the storms come, as Christ says. You know, if we built our house upon sand, upon sand <laughs> Whatever elements are going to come, the wind, the rain, you know, we're fucking done. It's all about the foundation. It's all about the basics. It's all about the little intricacies and the little moments of triumph in your life that'll create a successful, sober, happy way of life. And if I'm not acknowledging who and what I am at every step of the way and my slips and my little devious thoughts um, and how they begin to change, then... They will overtake me in time. You know, if I'm not acknowledging my shadow self and I'm sweeping it under the rug and I'm not acknowledging the evil within me, eventually it will overtake me. So it's all about constantly dissecting yourself and making spiritual growth your only loyalty. My loyalty, and I say this with respect, my, my loyalty is not to my family. It's not to my significant other. It's not to my apartment. It's not to CrossFit. It's not to school. It's not to learning. It's not to my job. My loyalty is to my relationship with God and that spirit within me and that spiritual growth. Without that, in my experience, it has been proven that death and destruction and psych wards is my lot. That's just where I end up. Shuffling around a fucking locked up psych ward with crazy non-slip uh, socks on. Getting fed 400 milligrams of Seroquel so I don't lose my shit again in the middle of the psych ward. And they just keep me drugged up until I'm released and I'm a no longer danger of threat to myself or society or anybody else. That's where alcoholism and drug addiction take me. So, you know, Dax, it's like compassion, love, and shake it off and fucking keep moving, baby. Seven days. And what? You relapse after 16 years. And what? You relapse after eight years. Flip the perk with your dad. And what? You're still a father. You're still a husband. You're still a great man. You still have an awesome podcast. You still have friends. People love you. It doesn't matter. We don't turn our back on people because they had a slip. If anything, we darken their doorstep and say, how can I help? How can I be of service to you and your family in this time? How can we sit down and analyze this and see where we may have dropped the ball so it does not happen again? Let's shake things up a bit. You know, and I, I don't want to speak on his, his relationship with spirituality, but I believe he is an atheist, um, you know, which, which, you know, to me means I, I have, you know, contempt within me and a closed mind to a certain degree, um, to a certain degree in life. And perhaps I'm not open to, um, you know, some greater things at work. Perhaps. I don't know. So... Uh, Dax got honest with the lies and all that. And you know what? It's like, you, you don't, you just own it and you walk it out and you get back on track. Walking into a 12 step program and picking up a white chip after a relapse has significance in symbolism as you're willing to get right-sized before men, before your peers, your society, and say, this is what, you know, has happened. But just because people are in a 12-step program and quote-unquote spiritual does not mean that they're good people. Most of the, man, we're in the room full of sick people trying to get well, okay? 
The same is true of Christians or any other religion. Just because you have an I love Jesus sticker on your bumper or you go to church three days a week, it, I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that you're a good person. It doesn't mean that you're aware of the evil within you. It doesn't mean that you don't treat people like a fucking asshole. We have to accept ourselves as the ragamuffins we are. Dirty, beat down, struck down, but not persecuted, not destroyed. Uh, in the grave, but not dead. A resurrected spirit. You know, these are the things which that are within us that we need to tap into. And you know what? That's his journey, man. Life will give you whatever experience you need in order to evolve your consciousness. And Dax needed that. That he may get closer to his truer self and get closer to his God. The same is true of what happened to me in my life. And the same is true of what continue happens to me in my relationships, in my character defects, in my failings, in my evading responsibility, um, you know, and all the intricacies that make me, me. So, you know what, man? I fucking, I nod to you, brother. I nod to you. I still fucking love you. Seven days, who gives a shit? 16 years, also, who gives a fuck? You know, shake it off, be you, keep rocking like nothing happened it doesn't mean we don't have anything to offer the world and it damn sure doesn't mean that we can't help people you know there's people with 20 years i don't want to listen to a fucking word they say you know and how dare anybody step back and judge the spirituality of a man based on the time that they have sober that means nothing it's quality over quantity how can you judge the spirit of god within a human being you can't, and we're arrogant into thinking that we can. All we have is a rough idea based on the estimate of our experiences. And we have combined experience and knowledge in a group that can make us helpful. It shouldn't make us condemn, you know, we shouldn't condemn others. There's a difference between an elder statesman and a bleeding deacon, one book says. A bleeding deacon stands in the front of the room, rah, 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 you know, just became a deacon. This is how we're going to change the world. This is how God is. This is how you do sobriety. This is how you work the steps. Rah, rah, rah. If you're not doing it like me, you ain't going to be sober, right? He has ownership on God. And if you ain't coming through his way, the gate ain't open to you. And I used to embody a little bit of that. So naturally, I have resentment towards that because I haven't, I haven't accepted that part of myself yet. All right, let me switch gears here for a second. Number one, I, I just want to stretch this throughout the podcast is, you know, I, I feel a little weird even hopping on the train of, of giving my two cents concerning the subject. Um, you know, I'm really coming from a place of love and experience. Um, you know, a lot of people offer their opinion. You know, all you got to do is ask them be like, oh, have you, have you gone through this? Have you done this? Oh, no. Oh, so you're offering me your opinion rather than your experience of which I'm not fucking interested. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, when I relapsed, I had people come up to me and say, you know, and they would just dive in and say, well, you must have not done a thorough enough inventory. You must have not done a thorough enough whatever. You must have and just, you know, speculate into my, my, my inside job. And it's like, you know, I used to take that stuff seriously. Oh, this guy must know or whatever. And it's like, you don't fucking know, man. You don't know. And it is what it is. And you keep moving and grooving regardless. Now, I related to his his whole podcast on every level, um, you know, and, and one thing, man, he mentioned again, like I mentioned earlier is, you know, once I once I took that tram at all, everything fell into place and it fixed everything. And when there's something to fix and it fixes everything, you got a fucking problem. You, there's some there. You're in a bad way, you know, and. You know, he mentions one moment uh, in his podcast, 
his co-host god i think her name is monica and i'm so apologetic if i get it wrong he was talking about you know okay i'm happy i got seven days and without missing a beat she was like do you miss it and i was like whoa that was intense you know hold on let me hit this coffee real quick so she goes do you miss it and he said no you know um you know the shame and guilt and he was done lying and went into this thing and here's the thing man and i'll just be straight up i love getting high and drinking if i could have continued to do it without yielding consequences that destroyed myself my life and everyone around me i'd still be doing it now if somebody said to me, do you miss getting high? My answer would be no, of course not. Because I wouldn't trade the inexhaustible peace and security that I have in my life now. That I always search for in the shot of heroin, in the bottle of beer, in the Heineken, in the pill. Always searching, always searching, always searching. And in a sense... We have the right idea, just the wrong higher power. You follow what I'm saying? When people get sober, you know, people, uh, someone would say, you know, go after this recovery thing, go after seeking this God thing with one half, one quarter of the zeal you showed in your ability to get the next drug or the next drink. And if you do that, you are sure to be successful. So we were chasing, if you will, this drug or the bottle as a God, as a higher power, and it took and it took and it took. So we have the same type of strategy. It's just more of a sane, realistic approach to seeking the internal, seeking that deeper bliss consciousness, that spark, that spirit within us all that gives us inexhaustible um, mounting moment after moment, building grace and power and love within us, um, where we don't need and we don't want and we don't miss the things that were fleeting. Now he mentions this one moment in the podcast and he goes, you know, once I started taking them every day, uh, I would wake up so happy because I knew I had an oxy 30 and I would get up and I would take that and I would have my cup of coffee, pour myself a cup of coffee, and I was just ready. And I was taking care of responsibilities and we're boom, being part of the day. And man, could I relate to that. Because, which is saying, listen, the last however long of my life, eight years or whatever, and I'm speculating here that when I woke up, I really wasn't okay. I really wasn't happy. There was this low-level sadness you know and that needs to drive us into taking action within our own life it can't end up taking action to go backwards you know settling and going backwards so the whole point is we listen to the lie we wake up perk 30 coffee and then in that moment that's all we're worried about but it always runs out. It always ends up in the shit. It always ends up in the gutter, right? And man, I, I can relate to that, dude. Like when I went bet when I went to bed with a pocket full of pills, and I knew I was gonna have a good day at work. I was gonna be fucking perfectly buzzed throughout the whole day. Man, when I you know when I went to sleep, and I I still had a couple bags of heroin, you know. Uh, I'd wake up, man, I'd wake up, I'd fucking get the bags out, get the freshie out, do my thing, get my coffee, and go about the day. I was completely dependent on an external source for internal relief, and it never lasted as long as I wanted, and it never turned out to be the relief that I wanted it to be. And it was always to quiet the voices. It was always to quiet the voices. 
Another thing Dax mentions, there's, you know, and I, I say this, this is my experience too, there's a lot of justification. You know, he drives, he, he's, uh, uh, he's on the track racing, whatever the thing is, and he says, you know, after a, a long day of being on the track, I'm usually, my body's in pain, and, you know, I don't think it's a big deal if I take a couple of Vicodin. So without realizing it, we're creating discomfort over and over and over again in order to justify going backwards and using drugs again. And then the argument would be that what I'm supposed to give up what I love because I'm sober. I don't know. That's that's for you. Maybe you need to pivot it. Maybe you need to posture it different in your life. But also, I would say... 90% of the recovered drug addicts and alcoholics I met are properly banged up. Listen, man, my back, I'm most of the time in pain, you know, 80% of the week. I have to say, I have to stay moving or else my body tightens up like the, like the tin man and I'm in excruciating pain. I hurt my back probably once a week through lifts you know, and I'm swallowing 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and drinking a lot of water just to stay afloat. You know, we, we, we abuse our bodies. I mean, just complete disregard for taking care of ourselves in the proper way. Um, so I could relate to that as well. And, um, you know, I mean, listen, man, when I, when I think about this and, I, I have zero experience of dealing with this on a public level. I have the experience of walking into, you know, my home group at the time and everyone thinking I was Scott for you're sober and, you know, then you raise your hand and get up and, and get a white chip and people are fucking blown away, you know, blown away. And guys come, I remember this kid said, you know, if you if you did this, if you relapsed, I got no fucking shot. Uh, and that hurts, you know. Um, but, you know, when, when we're talking about and when Dax mentions all the lies and the self-deceit and the hiding and then finally, you know, and I, I think, yeah, no shit. Like, of course, that's part of the deal. Chalk it up to the game. See, once you flip that and you take that pill, there's and you had walked away from it for many years and you relatively know what you're up against, the byproduct of that is dishonesty, letting go of spiritual principles, lying to the ones closest to you. Why? Because I'm lying to myself. So there's no other expression that emanates from me. It's a natural byproduct of what's going on inside of you. Builder of thoughts. Just as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart of the man. This, again, is a universal law. I've been I've, looking back. I see it and currently in my life everywhere. It is just the nature. And you can't change Mother Nature. You just can't do it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, personally, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, his transparency. Um, I wish him well, um, you know, and at the end of the day, man, it's like all you got is today. It really is, you know, really is one day at a time. Um, and I think we can all learn from what he's going through is to let go of self-condemnation, that it doesn't help yourself and it doesn't help anyone around you. So moving forward, I mean, right after, right after I relapsed, I was always trying to get back on the boat, you know, and I had this gentleman tell me, you know, I was always, I was always trying to get back, trying to get back something, get back the time, like it fucking meant anything. Obviously it was faulty. It was feeble. It had to be ripped out from underneath me. God and life will give you whatever experiences you need in order to evolve your consciousness and get closer to your truth, the truth, who you really are, to discard everything that you think you are in order to be steeped in what you actually are. 
See, the misconception is that there's something to get. There's nothing to get. The gift to you is you. It's a return to who you are meant to be, to the radical, pure, innocent self. Scripture says, be innocent in everything regarding evil. Be innocent. Let it not be a floating thought in the deepest subconscious part of your mind. Be innocent concerning it, just as a child is innocent to the face of evil, hopefully. And they walk with childlike faith, enthusiasm, spontaneity, and just saying yes to life and their experiences, completely enthralled in the moment, right? Until, until they learn that word I and me and my toy and not sharing and my and my cookie, right? They start to identify. We start to identify with ourself and our mind and take ownership and separate ourselves. And such is the tragedy of life, right? And then we learn we have to dismantle that, step back. Who is this character saying I? I lost 16 years. I gave up after A. I did this, you know, I'm ashamed, I'm this. Let's just step back, gain some perspective, and abide in that space that's watching it unfold and try to step back, watch it, and accept it free of attachment. I know it sounds fucking pretty, right? Oh, it sounds so pretty. And isn't it pretty to think so? Yeah, it is, but, you know, it's not fucking easy. It's not easy at all. And I was always trying to get back those four years and this gentleman Irish Chris said to me he goes you know I used to be an avid runner he goes I still am a runner and he goes but I'm older now and 10 years ago I could run a half marathon and and, you know whatever the time may be and he goes you know I stopped running for a while I, I had a bout with whatever in recovery and you know then I started to run again and man he goes I would get so pissed off because there was a huge, huge shift in my time, my ability, my strength. And for months, I didn't enjoy running. I was always comparing myself to where I once was. And the natural course of my life, Scott, is just different right now. And I, I only found enjoyment in running my current race when I accepted that that's in the past and I'm here to run and not compete and not compare. I'm here to run. That's it. So there's no stopping. There's no starting. There's only doing. There's no stopping. There's no starting. There's only doing. There's no starting over. There's only doing. This, this illusion that I've lost something or I need something more to gain or this other person is my superior because he has X amount of days. X amount of fucking days of what? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's reverence and there's respect, right? Like with my meditation teacher, when I address him, when I think of him, when we speak, I have reverence and respect of his years of experience and meditating 13 hours a day and the value that he brings to me and others like I have respect for that and know that he is significantly more experienced and knowledged in that practice but he would say don't place me on a pedestal don't worship me don't think of me as greater than you You follow what I'm saying? The good people know that. The right size people know that. He's just a little further along the path. And that's that. It doesn't separate our love for one another. It doesn't separate or alter his guidance from me. If anything, it opens the door even the more. And these are the people we need to surround ourselves with all the time, 24-7. Never starting, never stopping always doing. So again, you know, um, this was kind of spur of the moment just because, you know, I've always, I've always followed Dax and, 
you know, I, I, whatever. I, I enjoy him. I love his movies. He's funny as shit. And obviously that commonality of, uh, him being in recovery and, and all that. And, you know, I've just heard some opinions here and there around, you know, the people I've ran into and I have direct experience with, with going through what he's currently going through right now. And I, I don't know, I just felt moved, I guess, to, to touch on it a little bit and hopefully be helpful and not condemning and not judgmental. And I hope I didn't come across that way at all. Um, and it's nothing but respect and love. And listen, just because I'm in recovery or we're in recovery, I don't need fucking special treatment. I don't need your understanding. And I, you know what? I don't need your approval and I don't need your compassion. Uh, your compassion and open-mindedness as far as, you know, the stigma out there, that's greatly appreciated, but it's not going to alter my conduct or how I respond and attack my daily life. It no longer does that. I no longer need your approval or acceptance. I don't need it. If it comes, great. Still not going to alter how I operate and attack my life. If it doesn't come, not going to affect how I posture my life just the same. Um, so I wish everyone out there who has gone through this or is going through this, I wish you well. Um, I wish you willingness and action. I wish and pray that you free yourself of uh, uh, self-condemnation. And regardless of the shame and guilt and those loud voices in your head, that you take action regardless of how you feel. That you keep showing up and keep taking action regardless of what they say. And know that guilt and shame and remorse and self-condemnation are boogeymen that hide underneath the bed. They're monsters that scare me when I'm in bed and I give them power and the boogeyman and the boogeyman's underneath and the boogeyman's here. And once I have the courage to look under the bed and I see that nothing's there, I sleep well and I sleep free and I dream easy. It's a silhouette. So I wish everyone well. Um, and yeah, this was uh, this one just just hit home with me. So that is enough out of me. Be good to yourselves.